everybody this morning. I think you all can be seated and we're going to have some announcements. Good morning. I'd like to welcome you all to the services of Grace Church at Franklin today and say for any first time visitors, we're glad to have you with us. And if you did not get an opportunity to sign the register located in our foyer, we ask that you would do that as you leave just so that we might have a record of your attendance. I want to read a card from the family of Marie Dalton. It says, perhaps you sent a lovely card or sat quietly in a chair. Perhaps you sent a funeral spray. If so, we saw it there. Perhaps you spoke the kindest words as any friend could say. Perhaps you were not there at all, just thought of us that day. Whatever you did to console our hearts, we thank you so much, whatever the part, by the family of Jacobs, Daniel Jacobs. Inside, they wrote, thank you for your continued prayers and for guidance and strength to continue in God's plan. Kathy, Marie Dalton, Morgan, Isaac, and Jenny Jacobs. So let's continue to remember that family and their recent loss. <clears throat> we also want to uh, acknowledge the loss of uh, Bill Dodds. Uh, Bill died on April the 18th, and we just learned of this recently. Some of you may remember Bill, uh, but he's been a longtime supporter of this ministry, and our pastor will speak more about that next week. He lived in Lincoln, Nebraska. <clears throat> we also uh, learned that Levon Gladly, uh, him and Levon and his wife Helen worshiped with us for many years before moving to Five Points, Tennessee, and Levon passed away uh, this past week at the age of 88, and our pastor uh, performed that memorial service for them. So let's remember that family. We also want to continue to remember the Jeff and Kathy Gall family, as well as for their son Austin. We want to remember Steve and Cheryl Cawthron. They have both recovered well from their respiratory illnesses and are doing good. Um, her sister, Joanne, continues to improve from her second uh, cardiac ablation procedure, so we're thankful for that. We want to continue to remember Carl Perry as he's recovering from his recent surgery to remove some cancer from his head. 
Also for Shirley Murphy, she continues to heal, and glad to see Shirley here again today with us. <clears throat> we also want to remember Wally Haddon. He's doing well also and is here present with us today. Continue to remember him. Uh, Betty Hethcock asking prayer for her son's eyesight and also for her granddaughter, uh, granddaughter Larkin, who broke her leg recently. Uh, Pat Jackson continues to experience a great deal of pain from her recent shoulder surgery. Uh, she did have her cataract surgery uh, that uh, this past Monday, and that went well. She is scheduled to have the other shoulder uh, worked on in about six to nine months, so let's remember her. Uh, Sue Martin told me this morning that her brother Eddie is in a Knoxville hospital with a bout of diverticulitis, uh, so let's remember him before the Lord. He is doing well, expected to be released today, and he will have some follow-up tests when he returns back to Tennessee. We also want to remember Evelyn Carrico. She's uh, having some knee injections uh, tomorrow, I believe, and then she's also had a biopsy of a skin lesion uh, that she has not yet received results uh, from or at least we don't have those results yet, so we'll report more next week. <clears throat> we also want to remember George Bishop continues to suffer uh, pain from his uh, post-shingles episode and also his next bladder biopsy that's coming up in May. <clears throat> I mentioned uh, Martina Hale's been put in a mental hospital. Let's continue to remember her before the Lord and also for David uh, and, and for his ministry there in Lewisburg, Tennessee. Uh, we also want to continue to remember Sue Martin's niece, Patty, who is uh, undergoing lung cancer treatments. <clears throat> and we want to remember Howie Smith serving in our military. And then I take a poll. Does anybody know, uh, besides the obvious, uh, who in our congregation celebrated their 18th birthday this week? If you guessed me, you're wrong, very wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Join me in recognizing the birthday of a walking, talking, living miracle of God, Nathan Smith. <clears throat> I want to remind you that if you want to give a gift to this ministry, that you can do so in the offering plate that's located in the round table of the foyer. And certainly, if you have any prayer announcements that you want mentioned before the church or sent out in the email form, you can contact me. If you are not on the distribution list for prayer announcements and other important announcements of the church, you can see me as well, and I'll be happy to add your name to that. And also, we remind you that if you want copies of our messages here, you can always fill out a slip that's located in the round table again as you exit the service uh, to get a copy of the DVD or CD of our messages that are delivered here each week. <clears throat> Thank you. Good morning again to everybody. Um, I just want to say something. Miss Sue, it's two ninety nine. Two ninety. Um, before we sing this next one, I wanted to say some of you had asked um, before about our directory here at Grace Church, and I have typically taken care of the directory. I haven't updated it in several years, but we have. Uh, we've talked about doing a an electronic form of a directory, and then if anybody wants one printed, we can print one out for you. That way we can update it more regularly. So I just wanted to let you all know that that is probably coming up. Um, hopefully in the next few months we'll get a, a new version of the directory out. I'll gather everybody's information that wants to be in it. And that way we can keep up with phone numbers and emails and things like that for anybody, any of y'all who want to be able to get in contact with each other. But uh, 299, day by day. <laughs> day and 
passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I've no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure, gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. Every day the Lord himself is near me with a special mercy for each hour. All my cares he fain would bear and cheer me, he whose name is Counselor and Power. Protection of his child and treasure is a charge that on himself he laid. As thy days, thy strength shall be in measure. This the pledge to me he made. Help me then in every tribulation, so to trust thy promises, O Lord. Sing that last part with me again of that, that third verse. Uh, four, yeah, third verse. Help me, Lord, when toil and trouble meeting, ere to take as from a father's hand. One by one, the days, the moments fleeting, till I reach the promised land. That clock up there is a little bit fast, but we've got another few minutes. Let's sing uh, Before the Throne of God Above. Would you all stand with us? Isn't it good to have a God who rules and who reigns over the universe? (laughs) Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. Sinless Savior died, my 
say amen. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high. Nobody can find it. Nobody can take it because the Lord has it hidden in him. All right, you all, you all can be seated. So how's everybody doing today? This is for old it's good people. to see all of you. These chairs up here for a couple of old people. I think we can walk and stand this morning, but I'm not sure about other times. It is convenient to sit down and sing. We're delighted to see all of you, and we're going to let you remain seated so you won't be up and down so much, okay? We know some of you have bad knees, like me, so we're going to let you stay in your pew. We're going to sing a couple songs together, Victory in Jesus. And I just keep trusting my Lord, okay?
camera in here sometimes and I'm going to take your picture and put it up on the screen. My goodness alive, y'all must have had a bad week. <laughs> you remember Linda, Linda Turner remembers what Howard Tillery used to say. He was an old song leader way 50 years ago, more than 50, and he would say, turn those frowns upside down. That's what he would say. Let me get you to stand up with us. Sue? I want you to raise it up. We're going to raise that up a little bit. Let's get a, a little higher volume here, okay? I just keep trusting my Lord as I walk along. 
to ask the Lord's blessings before we open His Holy Word and learn more about Him. So join us in this appeal.
remain standing for a moment, and if you want to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, while I welcome all of you to our morning service here at Grace Church at Franklin, and all of those who may be tuning in by the internet on YouTube, Ustream, or Sermon Audio Video. I am always encouraged by believers who come out to worship shortly after having suffered some tragedy in their families. Besides the coronavirus, uh, there are some among us today who have lost loved ones. Of course, first I have in mind Shirley Murphy, who is here today. She was here last week. And that is a wonderful testimony of the grace of God that we should be found worshiping the Lord after having lost something or someone. And then secondly, we have a couple of guests here. I'm not going to embarrass them, but this past week an old friend of mine who is a believer, Lavon Gladney, uh, passed away. His wife, Helen, passed away about 10 years ago. And they were faithful and very sweet people. We used to go down to Lawrenceburg and teach a Bible study down there. Did that for years, also in Hohenwald. But the Gladneys moved back down that way because that's where they were from. When I met them, they lived on Old Hickory in Nashville. Well, today we have uh, Zachary and his wife Morgan with us today. Zachary is Levon and Helen's son. One of five siblings, they had five children, all boys and one poor little girl. It got the good, the bad, the ugly from the rest of them. We're just glad to have you with us here today. First Thessalonians chapter 1, four verses, the first four verses. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word and let God's people say praise the Lord. And you may be seated. For the sake of the visitors, I will now say that we have actually covered this entire chapter. And in summary, this is what we have learned. Every child of God is in the church the ecclesia, the called out ones. And every child of God in the ecclesia has a relationship with God the Father and with His Son, Jesus the Messiah. Everyone in the ecclesia, the church, is saved and kept by grace. And everyone has the peace of God because of the peace with God. The ecclesia is the subject of thanksgiving and prayer 
Christ himself prayed for us that we would believe on him through the words of his apostles that is found in the 17th chapter of John. And then the ecclesia, the called out ones, the church, is characterized by works of faith. This is in verse 3. Labors of love and hope which expresses itself through patience. Then the ecclesia in verse 4 is made up of the elect in Christ. The ecclesia and every member in it has been elected of God. This is what he says in verse 4. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. What are some of the things that mark the elect, that mark the ecclesia, the called out ones, the children of God? Well, as we learn, these are mentioned in the remaining verses of the chapter. Verse 5, he says, everyone who's in the ecclesia has heard the gospel. Number verse 6, he says, everyone who's in the ecclesia will be able to discern the truth and the voice of Christ in the voice of those whom he sends. He said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And how do they hear his voice? They have to hear his voice in the voice of those he sends to them. And then in verse 7, the elect will bear a gospel testimony. And then in verse 8, the elect will support the gospel testimony. And then in verse 9, the elect will turn from their idols and will serve the true and living God. And finally, in verse 10, all who are in the ecclesia, the elect, the children of God, will anxiously look for and patiently wait for the return of the Messiah from heaven. That is verse 10. Now, we have established thus far what I call the practical basis of the doctrine of election. And today we're going to begin, we're going to proceed to establish the theological basis. I believe that it is important for us to understand that this doctrine is not only taught, but it is firmly established in the written Word of God. This might be new to many of you because preachers, pastors, teachers, have the tendency to go around it or go uh, to uh, just not to teach it, to avoid it in often in some cases. But it is firmly established in the written Word of God, and it is a doctrine that the children of God should greatly rejoice in. When Paul the Apostle met with the elders of the church of Ephesus, he said to them, I want you to take record this day. I want it to be a matter of record that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. That is Acts chapter 20, verses 26 and 27. And so we will not shy away from any doctrine taught in the inspired Word of God simply because it is not a popular doctrine or because it is often misunderstood. 
The Bible tells us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable. All Scripture is profitable for instruction in righteousness that the man of God, that the man, that's anthropos, it doesn't just mean men, it means human beings, the man or the woman of God, the believer, the one who's been called to faith in Christ, that they might be perfect. That's another Greek term that means complete, artios, means to be complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That is that you have everything you need, you have all the information you need to serve the Lord acceptably while you are in this world. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. That is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Now, God is holy, and God, the God of the Bible, is righteous. And we know that the Lord of the Bible will do right. And so, we must not be guilty of subjecting Him to our standards. In other words, we must not be guilty of saying, well, because I don't understand it, then it must not be true. There must be some other explanation for it. We must not subject Him to our standing or to our understanding, but we must subject ourselves to His revelation. Is the Lord a God of love? Yes, He is. Is He a God of mercy and compassion? Yes, He is. Is He a God of grace? Yes, He is. But we must never allow one doctrine to cancel out another doctrine. When we do that, we have the equivalent of a counterfeit coin. Now, I rejoice in the love of God, in the grace of God, in the mercy of God, in the compassion of God, but I also rejoice in the sovereign election of God. In fact, I might say His love is sovereign love. His mercy is sovereign mercy. His grace is sovereign grace. And so, what I want to begin to establish today in your minds is this. The Lord doesn't need any justification for anything He does. But theologically, I want to begin to establish the right of God to elect people unto eternal life. Let me begin by asking a question, whose world is this anyway? The Lord in the parable Matthew chapter 20, the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, he asked this question when some of them complained about some of his decisions to give those who had only worked a half hour the same amount of money that he gave those who had been in the vineyard since early morning. They complained about it. They grumbled about it. That's found in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 20, verses 15 and 16, that's the references I'm going to refer to. And he asked this question, Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with what is mine? Is your eye evil because I am good? 
So the last shall be first, and the first last, for many are called, but few are chosen. And so let's begin to understand that the Lord has the right to do as He pleases in this world. And the first point I want to make is this. It is the sovereign Lord who made all things. That is to say, He is the Creator. Now some suppose that the theory, and I want to emphasize theory, the theory of evolution, they suppose that the theory of evolution is the answer to the mystery of the universe. But all such ideas as evolution are only theories. And listen to me carefully now. They cannot explain the existence of things. They can only attempt to explain the complexity of them. That is to say, evolution and all such theories must begin with something. They can't begin with nothing. But we begin with God, the Creator who created the matter from which all things are made. In the beginning, the Bible says, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Translation, God made matter, and then from the matter, He made the universe. In the beginning, the earth was formless, and it was desolate, and the raging ocean was engulfed in total darkness. And then God the Spirit moved and brought light. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So thus the universe and all that is in it was created by the sovereign God. He is the creator thereof. Point number two, the Lord is the executor. That is, He governs all things according to His will. He is the CEO of all He has created. Now, when a last will and testament is drawn up, the person or persons who have, has that will drawn up, they determine the terms in the will. They determine who will give, get what. Whatever the will of God was in creating a universe, He's not only able, but He has the right to govern it in order to carry out whatever His eternal will was for creating it in the first place. Now what this means, among other things, and we could go on ad infinitum about this, but what it means, among other things, is we can rule out luck and misfortune. Cannot the Creator and the Executor of the universe do what He pleases with the sea, with the weather, with the wind, with the waters? Can't He raise up one nation and bring down another nation? Can't He raise up one man and bring down another man? Nebuchadnezzar, who didn't even know the Lord, is called the servant of the Lord. So was Pharaoh. I'd like for you to turn now. We're going to come back to 1 Thessalonians, but I'd like for you to turn over in advance to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. 
And while I ask you this question, if the Lord created the universe, if He is the executor of the universe, then He has the right to raise up one nation and put down another, to raise up one person and put down another, to move one person here and one group there. He is in charge, not just in theory, but in reality. So I ask you, was Abraham lucky, or was he chosen and called? Was Judas unlucky, or was he left to himself? The Lord said through Isaiah, in Isaiah 45, 7, I form the light, I create darkness, I make peace, I create evil, I, the Lord, do all these things. Now, I know that we have to give more explanation than what you may think, but remember this. Although there is a difference between pushing a man in a hole and permitting him to wander in the hole, if you see the man headed for the hole and you have the ability to prevent him going into the hole, but you choose not to, then you can say he fell in the hole by your permission. Is that not right? I believe that would be correct. And so I don't understand all the complexities of what God does and doesn't do, but I know this, not a worm wiggles without His express permission. Now let me ask you this, what was the difference between Peter and Judas? Both of them were sinners, both of them sinned against the Lord, and both of them denied the Lord. Peter was prayed for and granted repentance but Judas was left to himself. The Lord said to Peter in Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. What happened to Judas? Well, at the Last Supper, the Lord Jesus said, One of you shall betray me. John's Gospel, chapter 13. And John asked, Who is it, Lord? And Jesus said, He it is to whom I give a sop. Now, if you're from the south, you know what a sop is. A sop is a piece of bread uh, uh, that you dip in the pot liquor of the greens of the spinach or in the gravy. That's what a sop is. And Jesus said, He it is to whom I give a sop after I have dipped it myself. And this is what it says in John 13, verses 26 and 27. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, listen now, Satan entered into him. And then said Jesus unto him, Whatever you are going to do, do it quickly. Now I want you to think about that. He prayed for Peter that Satan might not have him. He left Judas to himself, and Satan entered into him. Would we dare say that Peter was lucky, but Judas was unlucky? No. Things were working out according to the will of the executor, who was also the creator. In Romans chapter 9... And beginning in verse 14, what shall we say then? 
Is there unrighteousness with God? See, some of you, while I've been talking about this, you say, well, that doesn't seem right to me. Well, I've already said that you must not submit God's revelation to your understanding of it. You must submit your understanding of it to Him and His will that is revealed. What shall we say? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid, Romans 9, 15. For He said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. He had mercy upon Israel. He didn't have any mercy upon Egypt. He destroyed Egypt. He set one plague after another against Egypt, and he even went up to Pharaoh and destroyed Pharaoh's son. Let's go on. Verse 16, So then, it, salvation, mercy, deliverance, that is not of him that wills, it's not by man's will. It is not of him that runs, it's not what man does, but it's of God that shows mercy. Here it is now. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, even for the same purpose, I raised you up. Pharaoh didn't know the Lord. He asked Moses, who is the Lord that I should obey him? But he says, here, I raised Pharaoh up. I raised Nebuchadnezzar up. I raised Cyrus up. Even for this purpose, I raised you up. And don't forget now, Pharaoh was a bad guy. He was a bad, mean man. He had Israel in slavery. He took away the amount of straw that they could get, and he said, you're idle, but I want you to make the same amount of bricks, but you find your own straw. He was a mean guy. And they were in, uh, under Egypt for 430 years. The Scripture says to Pharaoh, for this same purpose I raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be declared through all the, throughout all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he will have mercy. Watch this, and whom he will, he hardens. The same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. All God had to do for me to perish in my sins, all he had to do was leave me alone, that's all. He didn't have to do anything to me to make me hard. He just left me alone, and I, I just, by nature, I was becoming harder. There's all kind of ideas about this hardening process here. You will say to me, verse 19, okay, Paul says, now you're going to say to me, then why does God find fault? Who has resisted his will? And then Paul says, who are you to be questioning God? Who are you to question God? Who are you to reply against God? Shall the thing formed, that would be you and me, say to him that formed it, that's the Creator, why have you made me like this? Why did you allow me to be born here or there or into this race or that race? Why did you let this happen or that happen? Why have you permitted these things? Why have you made me thus? And then Paul answers, verse 21, Does not the potter have power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? I tell you, my friends, God has the right, the inalienable right. He has the right because He's the Creator, 
He's the executor. And thirdly, he sustains all things. He is the upholder. He's the creator, he is the executor, and he is the upholder of the universe. Nothing exists of itself, and nothing preserves itself. But according to the Bible, all things are upheld by the word of his power. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Listen to Paul's testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ from Colossians chapter 1 beginning in verse 14, he says, "...in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of every creature." Listen now, "...for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible things, invisible things, whether they are thrones or dominions, or principalities, or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. They are held together. Nothing remains in his universe that he doesn't sustain and preserve. You know, I'm not really fond of the doctrine of hell. I don't know of anybody who is. But you know what? It'll be God Himself. It'll be God Himself who will keep whatever kind of fire there is in hell burning. That will be a testimony of His wrath and His judgment, just like heaven will be a testimony of His grace and His mercy and His patience and His love. He is the Creator. He is the executor, and he is the upholder of all things. In the fourth place, he has a right because he's omnipresent. He's the omnipresent creator. There is no place that he is not. Whither shall I go? Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Where shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shalt thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. You know, the Bible says when Jesus was tempted of the devil, it says, Then was Jesus led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Surely, David goes on to say, the darkness shall cover me. But he says, no, even the light, even the night will be light to thee. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the light, the night shines as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Wow, that's Psalm 139. There is no escaping the omnipresent God. He is everywhere with all of his being at the same time. His essence is the center of the universe, and his circumference cannot be measured or even imagined. In him we live and move and have our being. 
I want you to know that God does not live in the universe. The universe lives in God. God does not live in time. Time lives in God. God did not begin with the creation of the universe. He is the beginning. He has no beginning. There is no searching out of the beginning of God. In the fifth place, the God of creation is omnipotent. That is, He has all might. He has all power. Nothing is impossible for Him. This is why we call Him the Almighty God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, with Him all things are possible. With the Father, all things are possible. Salvation, in fact, is an impossibility made not only possible, but certain by the Lord of creation. And so He is the Creator, He is the Executor, He is the Upholder, He is the Omnipresent, and He is the Omnipotent God. And sixthly, our God is a discriminating God. To choose is to discriminate. When you pick a product off the shelves of any grocery store, you discriminate against all the other products you did not choose. When you choose a man or you choose a woman to marry, you discriminate against all the other men and women. You didn't know you were a discriminator, did you? But you've been discriminating all of your life. Anytime you make a choice, you're discriminating against what you did not choose. When the Lord went down to Ur of the Chaldees, He discriminated against all the Chaldeans when He chose and when He called Abraham. When Jesus chose and called the twelve disciples, He discriminated against all those He did not choose and called to be His disciples. When Saul of Tarsus was on his way to Damascus, Syria, and he was halted, and he was blinded by the risen and glorified Christ, the Lord sent a disciple named Ananias to the blinded Saul of Tarsus, and he sent him with these words. I'm reading now from, you don't have to, you can write it down and read it yourself. Acts 9:15. the Lord said to Ananias, I want you to go down to a certain place, and there's a fellow praying there. What's his name, Lord? His name is Saul of Tarsus. And I want you to go down there, and I want you to recover his blindness. He's been blind for three days. He's in total confusion. Because he was going to arrest Christians, and now he's blind, and he's heard me speaking that the very one he was warring against is the Messiah. I want you to go down and put your hands on him. I want you to recover his blindness. I want you to baptize him. Listen to this now, Romans 9, 15. Go thy way, Ananias, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Now this is divine discrimination. But what's behind it? I want to leave you on a good and positive note. To me, everything I've said is positive, but if you've never heard it or don't understand it and you're wrestling with it, it may take a while of prayer and looking into God's Word. What's behind this divine discrimination? 
I've said he's the creator, he's the executor, he's the upholder, he's the omnipresent God, he's the omnipotent God, and he's the discriminating God. What's behind this divine discrimination? Number one, sovereign grace. You must understand, we must understand that the Lord is fully behind our salvation. We do not save ourselves with His help, but He alone is the author, the sustainer, and the finisher of our faith. We are all, spiritually speaking, like Jonah in a fish in the bottom of an ocean of hopelessness. We're like Mary Magdalene, who had no control of herself. The Lord cast seven devils out of her. We're like Abraham, who lived down in a world of heathenism. In fact, his father was an idol maker. So how do you explain Jonah being saved? How do you explain Abraham being delivered from polytheism to come to be the very example of the believer in the one true and living God? How do you explain Saul of Tarsus, who one moment is raging against Jesus Christ and his people, and the next moment is preaching the gospel he once abhorred? How do you explain Matthew and the, the other disciples? How do you explain Peter, the cursing fisherman? You explain them with sovereign grace. It is God in His sovereign grace who called them and chose them and saved them. The second way, the second reason behind this, this, this divine discrimination is this, compassion. Compassion. So where do you see that? Well, if the Lord didn't call men and women and boys and girls to repentance and to faith, no one would be saved. I want you to turn. You may still be in Romans, so we'll go to Romans chapter 3, a very popular chapter. And I'm going to quote something from Romans chapter 3, but it's found in the Old Testament. It's found in two Psalms. It's found in Psalm 14, and it's found in another Psalm. And this is what it says. The Lord looked down from heaven. You're turning to Romans 3. I'm quoting from Psalm 14. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, if there were any that did seek God. And he looked and he looked and he came to this conclusion, they've all gone aside, they've all together become filthy, there's none that doeth good, no, not one. And what is written in Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. Verse 10. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understand. There is none that seek after God. Let me ask you, did God call Adam, or did Adam seek the Lord? Adam, Adam, where are you? I heard your voice. And I was naked, and I hid myself. Who sought who? Did Adam seek the Lord? Did the Lord seek Adam? Did Adam call on the Lord? Did the Lord call on Adam? Do the sheep that are lost, do they seek the shepherd? 
or does the shepherd seek the lost sheep? It says here that there's none righteous. Nobody by nature, no matter what they do, from the time they're born, David confessed in sin, did my mother conceive me? The wicked go forth from the womb speaking lies. There's not one person ever born who's not a sinner. Not one person ever born righteous or become righteous by anything they do, think, or learn. No, there's none righteous. No, not one. Verse 10. And therefore, there's none that understand. If they understood, what's the next thing? There's none that seek God. They'd begin to seek God if they understood. But they don't understand the awful mess they're in. And they don't understand how holy God is. And they don't understand the great gulf between them and God. If they did, they'd be crying out to the Lord from the moment they began to understand. They'd be seeking the Lord, but they don't understand. Then he says in verse 12, as a result of not understanding and not seeking God, they've got to go somewhere, so they've all gone out of the way. Now, who's the way? Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Isaiah said, there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. All of us, said Isaiah, have, like sheep, have turned out of his way. And we've all gone our way. So it says in verse 12, Romans 3, they've gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. That is, by nature as we are, if God left us alone, we are of no profit to him. No profit to him whatsoever. There's none that doeth good. Oh, you can do some ethical good. You can do some moral good. You can do some other kinds of good. But you know, when a man came to Jesus and said, Good master, what good thing, what must I do to go to heaven? Jesus said, Why do you call me good? There's none good but one. That's God. But if only God is good, my friend, then the rest of us are not good. You can be real good and very good and most good and almost perfect good, but that ain't good enough. Right? Remember what I told you I used to tell the boys and girls 40 years ago? I'd say, boys and girls, how good do you have to be to go to heaven? Oh, Brother Sasser, you've got to be real good. What about you? Well, you've got to be extra good. Well, like you've got to be super good. I said, boys and girls, do you know how good you have to be to go to heaven? And they'd say, how good, Brother Sass? I said, you have to be as good as God. As good as God to go to heaven. Everybody that will be in heaven will be as good as God because they'll have the righteousness of God given to them through faith in the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You'll stand there with nothing against you. Nothing. There'll be no accusation against you. I'll point this out maybe in just a moment. Notice he says there is, we've all become unprofitable. This is verse 12. None that doeth good. The effects of this on us, verse 13, their throat is like an open sepulcher. That's a grave. He says, you know, coming out of us, 
Jesus said the things that a man puts in his mouth, these are not the things that defile him, but that which comes out of his heart. That's where the defilement is, and you can tell it by the way we talk. With their tongues they've used deceit, the poison of asp, poisonous reptiles is under their lips. He's comparing us to venomous beasts who bite and sting and kill with our words. He says the mouth, verse 14, is full of cursing and bitterness. We're bitter. We're bitter against people. We're bitter against God. As a result, verse 15, you know about all this rioting that's been taking place here recently? The Bible's way ahead of them. Their feet are swift to shed blood. That's the nature of man. Verse 16, destruction, misery are in their ways. Verse 17, the way of peace they have not known. And here's the whole matter. Here's the whole cause. There's no fear of God before their eyes. We've now reduced the God of the Bible to just a little friendly, loving Jesus who would surely like to help you if you'll just let him do it. If you'll just cooperate and give Jesus permission, he'll do something for you. But the God of the Bible is the sovereign God. And he does not need me. If I'm not going to be faithful, he'll raise up somebody else who will be faithful. He doesn't need me. I need him. My dear friends, if the Lord had not called out to cornered Adam, if he hadn't called out and cornered Adam, he would have continued to run and try to hide from the Lord. If he hadn't halted and blind the old blind Saul of Tarsus, if he hadn't stopped him in his wild career, he would have continued his war against the Lord Jesus Christ and his people. And so I say it is compassion that is behind election. Behind the divine discrimination of God is grace and compassion. And finally, divine purpose. What's behind discrimination? Sovereign grace, compassion, and divine purpose. In other words, the Lord has a plan. Would you dare build a house without a plan? Most of us spend the money to hire an architect, or we find uh, some architectural plan. We know how many square feet we want in the house. We know where the bedroom and the bathroom and the den will be. We know how big our lot will be. Do you think that God would construct a universe and not have a plan? Do you think he would create an earth and populate it with people and not have a plan? He said in Isaiah, the Lord of hosts is purposed, and who shall disannul it? His hand is stretched out, and who shall turn it back? Isaiah 14, 27. His purpose involves the righteous and the wicked. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 11. His purpose involves the righteous and the wicked. Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and how to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. 2 Peter 2, 9. 
when the prophet complained, Elijah, when he complained that he was the only one left who was serving the Lord, I'm the only one left. Everybody else has bowed to all these gods and idols, and the Lord said, no, I've got some, I've got 7,000 that I have reserved, that I have chosen. And here it is in Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. Let me get over there myself. I'm still in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 11, and then go down to uh, verse 2. Did you not know what the Scripture says of Elias, how he makes intercession to God against Israel? Verse 3, saying, Lord, they've killed thy prophets, they've digged down their altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. And you probably have a reference there that's found in 1 Kings chapter 19. What did God answer him? Verse 4, I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal, And now the writer to the Romans comes to this conclusion. So he says, even so, verse 5, at this present time there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if it's by grace, it's no more by works, or grace wouldn't be grace. If it's works, it wouldn't be by grace, otherwise work would not be works. So what are you saying? Well, I'm saying this, verse 7, Israel, Israel after the flesh, the nation of Israel, has not obtained that which he seeks for, but the election has obtained it, and the rest were blinded. As it is written, God has given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David prayed and said, Lord, let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a payback, a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always. He says, have they stumbled that they should fall? No, God has some people in Israel he's going to save. He used Israel after the flesh. He called some Jews, and he converted them, and he sent them out to the Gentile world to preach the gospel. But only those people in Israel who've been elected will be saved. They say, well, why doesn't he elect anyone? Well, you ask him when you see him. When you see him, you ask him. I just want to ask you one thing, God. I want you to give me an answer here. My dear friends, it is ours, listen to me now, it is ours to trust Him. I've already said earlier, go back and listen to my earlier remark. I said, the God of the Bible is just, He is holy, He is righteous, and He will do right. Nobody will be in hell who doesn't deserve to be there. And nobody will be in heaven who doesn't deserve to be there. If you're in heaven, you'll deserve to be there because Christ paid for your sins. Because you came to trust in Christ. You came to know Christ. You came to see that He must be your substitute. He must be the one that you come to, that you trust in. You have no hope of ever entering heaven unless it's hanging on to His coattails. 
All of my salvation is Christ. All of my righteousness is Christ. The blood of Christ cleanses me from all sin. So there's a remnant now according to the election of grace. He has the right. He's the creator. He is the the executor. He is the upholder. He is the omnipresent, omnipotent God who discriminates when he chooses some and leaves others. When he chose Peter and he left Judas. And why? Because this is grace, this is divine compassion, and because he's carrying out his purpose. Having said that, let me say this. If you are here today and you have never come to the Lord Jesus Christ, then you call out to him. You come to him. It is the Spirit of God who would be dealing with you to show you that you have a need for a Savior. As I have said many times, if today you've only heard my voice, you will leave as you came in. But if in my voice you hear the voice of God, you'll never be the same. May the Lord speak to you and cause you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. May you flee to him for mercy. Come to him for righteousness. Have no hope except in him. May it be so. I ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to dismiss you in a moment, and I want to ask you to be praying for the word that was taught today, that it will not return void, but accomplish that whereunto the Lord has sent it. We worship a God who is compassionate, full of grace, full of mercy. He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you do not believe on Him, you have nothing to look forward to in death but the wrath of God. But if you believe on Him according to the promise made in His Word, you'll be delivered. For Jesus paid for your debt. Jesus paid for your sins. Jesus will have put it all away. Remember the little story I told you a couple of weeks ago about the Sunday school teacher was teaching the children And she said, boys and girls, Isaiah says here, the Lord says in Isaiah, come and buy without money. Come and buy without price. Let him that hath no money come and buy. She said, how in the world could you come and buy something if you don't have any money? How could you do that? How can you buy something without money? I know. How would you do that, Jane? She said, you could charge it. (laughs) She said, you know, Jane, that's exactly right. She said, everybody that's saved has charged their debt to Jesus. Amen. Everybody that's saved has charged their debt to Jesus, and he pays it. When the bill comes due, he pays it. Can't put you in jail then. Your debt's paid. 
Charge it. Charge it to him. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for sending him into the world to save us. We thank you for the message, the good news of the gospel, of your grace and compassion, your love and mercy through faith in him. And that if any soul ventures upon him, coming to him, casting all of his care upon him, you've promised that you would save him. You've promised that you would receive him. Jesus said, all that the Father gives me shall come to me, and him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. Oh, Father, I pray that many will come to thee. In Jesus' name, we ask it for his sake. Amen. Amen. Let's sing our little song. I'll let you go. Under the blood of Jesus, safe in the shepherd's fold. Missed.